This is Cinema Roundtable. My name's Jake, and today I'm joined by Erica. Thanks for having me. And Jared. Good to be back with you both. Yeah, we're back after uh, a fun, I would call it a fun pod last time. We get to talk about a bunch of movies. We're going to scale it down just a little bit this time, just focus on a couple of them. But This won't be like the epic two and a half hour podcast <laughs> we had last time. As much as I love being in a hot studio for two and a half hours, <laughs> uh, uh, I think this will be a little bit, a bit better. Um, Says you. <laughs> We um so last time we were in here we kind of were talking about our frantic schedules of watching movies because we were all kind of trying to get everything under the wire to be pre- most prepared. I guess Erica, did you feel that way too? I guess Yeah, yeah, I did. There were a couple movies um that were on my list to watch that I didn't get to. Were um, there any horror movies left that you hadn't seen from last year? Slapface. Oh. Slapface. Unfamiliar. It's pretty good. Um so has has your viewing been the same? Are you still crossing things off the list? Has is, has there anything that was brought up on the last pod that you didn't see that you now have seen? Anything? I've checked off. I've checked off the Green Knight. Green so, Knight. Yes, okay. I was happy to see that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of uh, both what you and Bo talked about resonated with me. David Lowry. Yeah, that guy. Uh, he, he he's interesting. You know yeah. how he how he does things, how he goes about his storytelling and. The, where where it goes and how it ends. So yeah, in the in the preparation for this episode, I was trying to watch movies that I wanted to watch that I didn't get to watch last time, but at the same time, like be still up to date with what's currently coming out. But in January and February, it can be kind of a crapshoot yeah, when it comes it's, to it's movies. Slim pickings for the most part. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I got to watch Barb and Star. I got nice. to watch Nightmare <laughs> Alley, Mitchell's versus the Machines. A few different things that yeah. I really wanted to watch. Um, but because of this, we're kind of in preparation for Oscar season. I know a lot of the movies that we talked about last time saw some recognition. A few that should have maybe, but didn't. Uh, yeah, Titan, no Oscar nominations. I, know. I feel like that is actually a huge snub. Oh my god! Um, yeah, I think there have been a lot of pieces written about this, or at least there's there's uh, vocalness out there. And there's still the fan vote this year. Have you guys heard about that? I've heard about it, but I just feel like it's another grasp at trying to be relevant. <laughs> trying to be relevant. It's not the best achievement in popular entertainment award uh, placeholder I mean, now. I assume is that's going to be a, a probably a Spider-Man thing, right? Yeah. probably will end up did anyone so did anyone have any reactions i know erica's been working on a, a very fun rant that we've been talking about in the chat um coming up but how about we start with jared did you have any quick reactions or anything like that not too much actually i was surprised that out of uh all the categories i've almost seen all the best uh animated feature nominees and now i've got a chance to see flea which nice. uh w- you know, racked up a number of nominations, uh, very surprisingly. I believe it's available on Hulu. I think I did see that. Hulu has been put, we've been watching uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the television nice. show. Yes. And, and they've been pushing their, their award nominees. And I think I saw that in the, in the little blip that they, that they're putting out. Um, just some things for me that I thought was kind of crazy. It looks like, it looks like Power of the Dog is probably the front runner. Yeah, from looking at the yeah, looking at the um, nominations. I mean, with I think I don't know if it's the most nominations, but I think with 
Plemons getting a nomination, which was kind of out of left field. Dunst as well. Dun- you know? I think Dunst was a little bit I, more expected, though. That, that and I would, I, I can see it. Not to dismiss Jesse Plemons or anything. I mean, that guy's been doing solid work for years now. So to see yeah. him kind of like up there in the awards talk is yeah. is pretty cool. And uh, some other ones for me, like no Gaga in actress, no, yeah, no, Denis. not much for House of Gucci. No, no, mm-hmm. not really. I personally didn't love that movie. But um, but I thought Gaga was really good in it. Still on my list. I have to check it out. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll probably red box it this weekend. Oh, probably. I, that I, it's if it's something that you're intrigued by, yeah. then you should check it out. But I'll, you know, I've, the last duel was on my top, my top there five even. So yeah, you get same director and same lead actor. I so. Know. Okay, so the anticipation, what is? what did you have to say, Erica, about this? Okay, well, some of my uh, criticisms about the Oscars are not going to be a surprise to you guys, um, but, I mean, I've found the, the Oscars to be irrelevant for all kinds of reasons. Like, uh, you know, one reason, which has been in the media a lot, is that uh, historically they very much skewed toward uh, white male filmmakers, uh, projects from major Hollywood studios and that kind of thing, uh, while snubbing really excellent foreign films, uh, filmmakers who are women and people of color. And it, it was just so glaring and, and tedious. So even though in the last few years they have tried to correct course with uh, awards given to movies like Get Out and Parasite, mm. mm-hmm. um, which is like, hey, I actually saw two Oscar-nominated films that year. I was like sort of proud of myself, but... <laughs> At the same time, it, it didn't really feel like as much of a victory as it should have. Like it was sort of like people were just pulling teeth to get to get recognition for uh, you know yeah. for foreign uh, filmmakers and women and people of color. So uh, I just felt like it was they were just bending to consumer demand, and it was sort of a too little, too late thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I will say at least. It looks like the front runner for director this year is Jane Jane Campion. Campion, yeah. so potentially back to back female director, best direct, which is which is great. Um, I thought the direction was great in Power of the Dog. Um, wasn't my favorite movie of the year, but I still really thought that it was a very like mm-hmm. it sits with yeah. you for a long time, and that oh, yeah. definitely comes in the directing. Right, right. Um, and Drive My Car is mm-hmm. nominated for I think a lot more awards than you would. Expect, I guess, for foreign language uh, for right. best, uh, yeah. that, that best is picture. Like kind of heartening to see, like, just like decades though of of crap getting yeah. awards. Like, <laughs> so I mean, even if you you took debates about diversity out of this, yeah. um, I, I would say even then, uh, historically, the Oscars often don't even represent the best work of white male American filmmakers. Uh, yeah. For yeah. for example, like I really enjoyed the musical Chicago, but did it deserve thirteen nominations and six wins? Like there yeah. weren't better films that came out that year, even from Hollywood. We were in I think the middle there were of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think was that. Right. Right. I yeah, think that was Two true. Towers. Was that mm-hmm. year? Yeah. It was. It, it, it was either Two Towers or Fellowship would have been that year. Um, but but yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and it feels like it kind of goes in waves too. Like. You'll have one year where you're like, oh, it feels like the Academy Awards are starting to like maybe recognize right. some of these outsider <laughs> picks. You get, you get Parasite winning Best Picture, or you get, I mean, even uh, Night, um, not Nightmare Alley, uh, Shape of Water, which yeah. some oh, yeah. people, I do like that. Some one. people yep. think it lump it in with the other 
kind of safer picks, but I don't I'm understand sorry. how no, a woman it, with a having a, a relationship the, with yeah, a I was fish say, man. Creature, yeah, creature yeah, from the, the Black Lagoon. The fish effing yeah. movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. Guillermo, who is, I mean, a horror, I, traditionally a horror yes. guy. I mean, but then you get stuff like Green, Green Book, which, like, there were plenty of old white people that probably loved that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's, yeah, that's kind of the problem with the Academy too. It's an institution so old that mm-hmm. we're to change yeah. its ways because, you know, just to, to go off of what Erica is saying, there's, there's so many others in the creative field that just are not represented as well mm-hmm. at the Oscars. You know, yes. the fact, you know, you want to like spread the love more. The fact that, you know, it took us so long to get like best animated feature. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you can't just like, surmise everything for animation into one category i love seeing flea get multiple nominations but at the same time it's like you know voice actors and things like that like there's incredible work that's done yeah. there that just mm-hmm. you know it like ah, flies people, under the radar yeah, people of. people think like oh they can go to work in their pajamas it's whatever sort of yeah. a thing but that you know like stunt work and things like that it's just like there's so much more that they don't embrace and recognize that it's just yeah, mm-hmm. I, when you're a kid and I watched and I knew of, of the Academy Awards, it, it it seemed like it was so objective. Like, this is <laughs> the litmus test and this is how it all goes. Then you get older and you start learning more. I read a, a, a book called uh, The Big Show by Steve Pond, which is all about, like, you know, everything behind the Academy Awards. And it was pretty <laughs> eye-opening. Then you just start hearing more. I remember seeing Dennis Lear on a late-night show. He's, an, he's a member of the Academy, and he just – right out and like set it on a late night show he's like i just voted for my friends you know uh-huh. and yeah. things like that and you're just like oh so yeah that that does not surprise me at all and i've also thought for quite a while that a lot of the films that get like a ton of nominations basically bought those nominations yeah, because uh, yeah. If it comes out of a really big studio Huge they campaign have, yeah, yeah they have money and resources to run these campaigns whereas uh, people who work with a smaller budget just don't have that luxury Right, and, and then like to add insult to injury, I don't think these big Hollywood studios make the best films. Um, as one of my uh, film professors who is really um, familiar with the whole process of how movies get made, he said that major Hollywood studios will screen stuff for test audiences and then re-edit an entire movie just so the dumbest person or the most stoned person <laughs> in the audience can understand it. Try um, to hit those four quadrants. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean... Uh, the biggest thing that I always heard about in regards to that was, I mean, other controversy aside, that was a big Harvey Weinstein thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was, I mean, the big Shakespeare in love campaign and, and, yeah. and movies like that, that maybe got a little bit more attention mm-hmm. because they were getting a lot of support from people that were friends of the studio or they were, I, I, I don't want to use the word bribe necessarily, <laughs> mm-hmm. but just sway exactly with <laughs> money exactly yes. and and that definitely helps and um i think that's probably a good <laughs> good way to to wrap up our thoughts sure. about and the, the thing is is as much as i uh don't trust it and i don't love the decisions they make i'm gonna be watching it i always end <laughs> up watching attention. it i i i don't put too much stock in it because I know right. what my personal favorites are, but at the same time, is it's, there, is it's there anybody you're championing or any movie <sighs> that you're championing, Erica? 
No, I still haven't seen Nightmare Alley, and it's on my list of things to watch. I it's on both Hulu it. and HBO Max right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh. Because of the whole okay. Fox acquisition by Disney, it's spread across a couple streamers. Well, so that's awesome. Definitely get an opportunity to watch it if you can. We, yeah. Lexi and I watched it, and both very much enjoyed it. Um, it it is pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's I would say it's very episodic. Also, a little bit. It kind of feels like you're watching multiple episodes of a series, but at the same time, um, I was very transfixed the whole time. So definitely, if you get an opportunity to watch it, I would definitely suggest it. But let's talk about some other stuff that has come out that we haven't gotten a chance to uh, bring up on a a previous podcast. Um, Erica. Erica saw, um, I, it's a little, a very little known IP, I think. It's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, this has been out for just a couple days, right? Yeah. Just this week? Yeah, I, I believe uh, maybe, uh, yeah, earlier this week or maybe over the weekend, something like that. But, oh, right, speaking of just painfully stupid <laughs> and dumbed down movies. So, yeah, it, this uh, 2022 version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is one of those requels where they take a legacy character and bring them back um, and then introduce a bunch of new characters supposedly to appeal to Character in quotation marks. Right. Yeah, I'll get to that. I mean, um, when you when you talk about, like, the legacy character, is it anybody other than Leatherface himself or? Oh, uh, well, well uh, a surviving okay, uh, legacy okay. character. So I, I have a note about that. And I also yeah. saw it, so I'll chime in after <laughs> you finish. So, I mean, I am a huge fan of the original Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre and even Toby Hooper's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which came out in the 80s, even though those are very different in tone it's crazy both, to think yeah they're both from toby i know it's crazy i, I also like the 2003 yeah streaming. marcus nisbal i was gonna say that yeah. too i thoroughly enjoy the mm-hmm. is that the jessica beale yeah it yeah. is mm-hmm. i i gotta say that yeah it's it's a strong guilty pleasure for me but i just i really love the aesthetic and i had a great theater going experience with friends with that because yeah like, same here a girl that we were with she just 10 minutes in she could not handle it she just walked straight out so <laughs> it's know. like Things like that that just add yeah. to it. And you're like, oh, yeah, this movie is intense. This has got something going on. But, yeah, the, the original is pretty almost untouchable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, when I heard that uh, Fetty Alvarez was involved with this project, yeah. I, you know, because I had enjoyed Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead remake, maybe my expectations were a little too high. Um, I ended up just hating pretty much every minute of this film. I hated myself for sitting through it. Um, I was angry at my, angrier at myself than I was uh, the filmmakers. Um, I'd say my biggest problem with this film stemmed from uh, the writing rather than the direction. I'd say the, uh, the screenplay, the story's too derivative of other projects. For example, bringing back the legacy character Sally Hardesty, who is the survivor from the original film, so she can take revenge on Leatherface just feels like a ripoff mm. of the 2018 Halloween and Halloween Kills. And there's also a plot element in which a young anti-gun activist uses a gun later in the film to defend a loved one. Um, you know, like that was done in um, the remake of Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my other issue is that the young people um, in this film are just extremely unlikable. Yes. Um, the original film featured a group of hippie teens, which I, I think was supposed to represent the last of the peace and love generation. And it, it makes sense that the new film would try to tap into current youth culture. Um, so, I mean, all these young people are, are basically uh, woke hipsters. 
but um, there's no reason to make them so like stereotypically awful and one dimensional. Like um, the these people, these characters just seemed like walking Facebook um, arguments, you know, <laughs> uh, to to any slightly political post. Um, it's, they're just like just nasty characters, and I I personally don't know any Gen Z people who behave this badly in real life. Um, I had also you know mentioned that at least Toby Hooper never reduced his hippie characters to stereotypes in this manner. Um, I, I think another film that that kind of poked fun at um, SJW uh, slacktivism in a more intelligent way was Eli Roth's Green Inferno, mm. which has its own issues. It does yeah, have it's... issues, but at least I didn't like just hate all of the characters. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. And, and that was just saying that's that that movie's got some unsettling scenes. It and does some have sounds, some problems, sounds that. Right? Still will ring in my yes. in my ears. Uh, at least in in um, Green Inferno, the the kind of annoying characters mm-hmm. are more overtly annoying, and the ones that you're maybe supposed to be a little bit more sympathetic make a little bit more sense. Where this, it just felt like across the board, all of them. Yeah, everybody is just uh, like even the main character. They she's not as much annoying, but she's really not. They don't really give her much of anything mm-hmm. to do in the movie. I mean, just for preface, I, this movie's eighty-one minutes long. Oh, I think it felt so much longer, <laughs> um, and that's with credits. So I mean, we're looking at a seventy-five-minute movie probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and w- my first note on here was uh, light on plot, so ramped up the violence is what I yeah. is what I when the the thing about the the first the original, which is one of my favorite horror <coughs> movies of all time, mm-hmm. um, is there's so much kind of implied violence that it almost feels like it should be much worse than it actually is. I think if you put it in comparison to a lot of horror movies nowadays, and especially if you look at like we were talking about the 2003 one back when the mid 2000s when the torture porn genre mm-hmm. was coming out and everyone was kind well, of and yeah Bay, and Michael eli Bay roth for that for launched, that matter uh, platinum dunes which was kind of like grabbing up all these old ips to remake them Ex- exactly and it just felt like they didn't have a story so they just were like let's try to be as violent as possible and i know that that's probably the fetty alvarez influence because the Evil Dead remake is very violent, and although I'm guessing he was a producer on this, he I think he wrote I the he, story. Wow. I think Fetty. Yeah, well, it's Fetty and Roto. Is that what his name is? They're kind of a partner. Okay, I think they wrote both of both um, Evil Dead and both of the Don't Breathe mm. films with Fetty being the director on the first Don't Breathe and the and Roto being the director on the second one. So I think they're kind of a team. But uh, I didn't recognize the the director. Actually, fun story. I, I pulled a little blip from a news thing that I read about Texas Chainsaw. It says, principal of photography commenced on August 17th in 2020 in Bulgaria, <laughs> which I did notice because if you watch the credits, everyone's name in the credits. I know it's a lot of very, very Eastern European. Yes. <laughs> um, but Does it says, Bulgaria do a good job standing in for Texas? <sighs> well... I don't, know. I don't know. When you have just a vacant cityscape, it's kind of easy to to be whatever. But um, it says, however, after being unimpressed with what was filmed, the studio fired Ryan and Andy Toehill. Uh, David Blue Garcia was hired to replace them as director. The footage shot by the brothers would not be used with Garcia starting over on the production. So all hmm. footage was scrapped of the previous wow. Yikes. director. So 
that's not a good start. I don't it's think it's not. Yeah, no. that's not promising. I was gonna say, and with with uh, a franchise like this that has so many sequels and remakes already in its canon, it's not like I hate to say, it, is is the bar that high that they couldn't even clear the the lowest? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting because like the movie is is very short and it doesn't really have it's got only a couple set pieces in it so i can't imagine a director going in and messing up that greatly with such little to have to do i mean yeah. it's really just kind of an opening establishing uh, a a pretty gory police or ambulance slash police kind of ride a, a bus scene and then kind of an ending scene which is mm. it's it's pretty light on plot, but um, very I, light on plot, and they they sort of dipped their toe into social commentary, and then like completely threw those ideas out the window yeah. and never developed it in any meaningful way. Like, um, there there's a reference to someone who's a survivor of a school shooting, and then mm. like it's like, well, that whole subplot doesn't matter, and uh, you know, maybe there's a subtext about gentrification, but it's like I'm really reaching here to find something to to grab onto yeah. in this movie. It's just so weak. Uh, what could have saved it, and I'm sure it wasn't in there, John Lorcat voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that that probably could have helped there. I, I also, just one last thing I want to say is, um, with that kind of ca- cameo from the from that character from the original movie, it's uh, unfortunately the original actress passed away, so they cast someone else in it. And I think, no offense to the, to the new actress, I don't think it really hits as hard no. <laughs> when, when it's someone different kind of being, and she really isn't, given much to do even in the in the story either right exactly so it, it uh, overall disappointing not as um disappointing as some of the other sequels have been this is about as disappointing as they come i think yeah and it, it's like yeah like jared was saying the, the bar is super low with this franchise at this point but it's like we, we could just step over the bar at this you know yes. at this juncture but they they could have done better anyway Yes, so that irritated. original footage that will never be seen. It's like the Lord and Miller of the Texas franchise, yeah. uh, Texas Chainsaw franchise. Maybe it's maybe it's a be- maybe there's a better movie in there, but we will never know mm. unless we have a Zack Snyder style <laughs> original cut. Um, but that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Um, not the highest recommendations, but I guess if you're interested, it is only 81 minutes long. Um, uh, the next movie that we that I want to talk about is uh, The Lost Daughter. Now, this is a movie from last year. It's getting a, f- a little bit of buzz, um, mainly in the acting categories. Um, yeah, this is Olivia Coleman. I mean, Olivia- she, what what does she do that isn't isn't great? And it's it's so interesting to me because Olivia Coleman, I always remembered her from Hot Fuzz. That was the thing that I always remembered her from. <laughs> Again, what does she do that isn't great? I, that, there you go. <laughs> but it's so interesting to see her as this kind of prestige actress now. With I yeah. mean, she for the favorite mm-hmm. and the crown, and now this. Um, uh, the general story about this though is it's about a, a woman, a professor who is on holiday. She's um, in Greece, and she's by herself, and she's kind of just observing. She befriends a family that is there, uh, also on vacation, and there is a young mother uh, played by Dakota Dakota Johnson, and um, she's kind of seeing a reflection of her own um, mother, like the things that she did with her small children, and it's being echoed with what Dakota Johnson is doing. Um, like I said, this movie is getting lots of prestige and lots of uh, accolades. 
And I would say that I personally did not connect with this film very well. I will say that the performances are fantastic. Uh, Olivia Coleman's great. Jesse Buckley's great. Dakota Johnson's great. Everything about that is, is very good. Um, the things that I had the most issues with is it felt like um, it was trying to be kind of, I, I don't want to use the word pretentious, but kind of a movie that that um, people who are kind of artsy would enjoy with some of the directing style, which uh, Maggie, this is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. Yeah. And overall, I think um, she did a, a very good job, but there's a lot of that like handheld, lots of extreme close-up type of thing that you see in a lot of those more kind of indie prestige movies that you see. Um, also, uh, I felt like it had a little bit of a meandering storyline, some things that I, we, both uh, Lexi and I were a little bit confused on their inclusion in the story. This is based on a book, so that is the source material that you're going off of. Um, I also had not, had, had you guys heard anything about what the story was or looked into this at all? Um, this was, I hadn't either. I hadn't even seen a trailer for it. So afterwards, I went and rewatched the trailer or watched it for the first time. It has kind of an ominous tone to it. Um, it almost implies that there's going to be kind of a mystery element to it with some okay. sinister music, which really that doesn't play much of a role huh. in in the story. Um, there's a scene where the 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 young mother, her daughter, kind of they lose her essentially, and they're all looking for her. Uh, the titular say, like, lost does up, daughter. Does it live up um, to its title at least? But they find her within the next five minutes. Okay. So that's just a very small element of the the story. Um, but overall, I think I personally, as as someone who doesn't have kids, as especially someone who is not female, and kind of um, can relate to maybe a young mother who has to work and, and, and be a parent and kind of going through the stresses of what it's like to have kind of those responsibilities. Um, maybe I couldn't be the be in the same shoes as this other person would, but, um, but overall that's kind of how I felt. It's definitely got great performances in it though. So if you're interested in it, it's worth watching just for that. Um, I think it is on Netflix right now. So, um, yeah, uh, check out The Lost Daughter if it sounds good to you. Um, now, Jared is going to talk about something very appropriate for our conversation today. Uh, yeah, so, and just really quick, you know, I sympathize with Erica where she has an attachment to a horror IP and sacrifices her time for it because really briefly I don't even want to give too much airtime to this but yeah I also <laughs> watched Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon yes. City because I grew up with those games I loved them so much introduction to survival horror the fact mm -hmm. that a game could be so cinematic and have such great storytelling here we are like what like eight movies into something like that and we still have yet to get anywhere close to that I was somewhat excited about this with super low expectations just because I was like, it seemed like they were trying to tell like the original story. And ultimately, you know what? All the cutscenes from the first two games are uh, just as good, if not way better than oh, wow. what this movie is. So <laughs> just, you know what? Watch, watch the trailer. You'll see the stuff that you remember from the games and what you uh, really liked about it. 
and uh, yeah, that's about it. So not much up, else needs to be said. No, not not really. <laughs> I gave up my time to it. I knew I would, and I knew I would come out less for it. So <laughs> but no, uh, to what you were alluding to, I went back and yeah, rewatched. Not rewatched. I watched the 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh, the director of that movie, as well as the star. I don't know what either of you's familiarity is with like Agatha Christie prior to this. For me, the only thing was was the 1974 version of Murder on the Ex- Orient Express. I have Express, seen that too. <laughs> done by Sidney Lumet, and, uh, because I love Sidney Lumet. And that movie... I I got it because it just was recently released on Blu-ray. Um, I I enjoyed. It. it has a lot of like playfulness to it. It's kind of like in that fun murder mystery vein. And watching the 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express for the first time, yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting mix because Kenneth Branagh tries to go for a lot more, and he introduces more to it, brings brings a lot more backstory, which I'm not sure is necessarily there with this character of uh, Hercule Poirot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not surprising, knowing Kenneth Branagh, you know, this uh, famous Shakespearean actor wanting to bring more pathos and such. Uh, and, you know, it's um, it was all right, you know. Yeah. It, it tells a story and everything and uh, is what it is. I don't know. From what I remember, I, I did not... Uh go back and rewatch it before our, our featured movie tonight, which is, which is death on the Nile. Um, but I remember liking, I remember liking murder on the Orient express for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, very enjoyable. I mean, you get those, uh, kind of whodunit movies. You get yeah. a fun cast that has a lot of characters that are both interesting in their characters, but also in the actors that get to play them. Um, but, uh, I, I, I did enjoy the original. Erica, what was what were your thoughts on that? Um I, I did see the uh the what was it twenty seventeen uh version Something in, like in that. the theater and, with friends and I did enjoy it. Um it was actually better than I expected. Um so I was looking forward to this film as well. Um as far as familiarity with Agatha Christie's uh work. Um, I'm, I've been bad in the sense I have not read many of her novels, but I grew up watching, um, you know, earlier film adaptations of her stories. And mm-hmm. there was the, the Perot TV series with, um, why can't I remember his name? Uh, well, I don't have that IMDb page in front of me. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, that was a fun. Suchet. Suchet. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Butcher his name as bad as I'm going to butcher Hercule Perot throughout oh, this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I have uh, trouble with... Uh, yeah. Just say Kenneth Certain Branagh. Names. That's yeah, probably yeah, right. fine. <laughs> yeah. Who for the longest time I said Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, that guy. Makes sense. So, yeah, I guess fortunately for me, even though I had seen at some point the 1978 version mm-hmm. of Death on the Nile and probably other adaptations of it as a kid, I did not remember any of... Uh, any spoilers basically from Mm -hmm. that. So it was kind of like going into the story fresh. Yeah. um, I think, I think when you put somebody as talented as Brana kind of both in a, in the lead role as well as behind the camera, I think you're just going to get quality regardless of what Mm -hmm. the story is. It's solid work. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's currently nominated for best director right now for Belfast. So, 
I mean, obviously he has an eye for this type of stuff and his adaptations, obviously of different Shakespearean work has always been solid too. So his um, filmography is so varied and so interesting when you look at it. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that kind of lends its, uh, lends anything that he does into being something, uh, at least quality. If it's, even if it's not the best thing you've seen, it's, right. you always know that you're going to get something that's not going to be bad. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's a good segue into our into our feature film, Death on the Nile. Um, Erica, would you like to start us off? Ah, well, okay. So I I have to say, in general, before we get to the spoiler section, although please give me the first comment in the spoiler section because I have a very specific thing I want to <laughs> that's say. That's totally fine. Um, uh, I would say this film was like very uh, like visually beautiful and lush like great colors. Um, I enjoyed all the performances. Um, you know, and, and as I mentioned, I, I hadn't, uh, visited any adaptations of this story in a long time or read the original novel. So the film did keep me guessing about the identity of the killer or killers, um, because they, they definitely subverted my initial suspicions. Um, and it was also the opening scene when the trenches of World War One were interesting. I, I didn't expect that they would give his mustache its own origin story. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. I was also thinking I had walked into the prequel of 1917 called 1914. <laughs> <laughs> I was counting in my mind. I was like, how long is he going to keep this tracking shot unbroken? Oh, gosh, we're going into no man's land. It's like 1917 didn't win Best Picture the year that it was there. Now I'm going to I'm going to make up for it this year with Death on the Nile. Right. I have to say, when they, they did the reveal of his mangled face, though, I, I think he would have a much bigger scar over part of his face than what the mustache would have covered. Bro, hair over After that it's like, been massive blasted. scar tissue. Yeah, that's, right. that's what I was thinking, too. I was too. wondering that, too. Uh, he Not, had a, a killer. It almost looked like a Wario mustache in this. It was kind of... It, definitely it was like a, a meta stash. It was like a mustache on top of a I know. mustache. Right? Yeah, it, was, it was a stash on top of... You're absolutely right. <laughs> and it changed. It changed from the style he had in Murder on the Orient Express. Which is way more <laughs> subdued and like a normal mustache. Mur- yeah. No, I'd say but... murder on the Orient Express. It's way more. It's like it's like he oh, took really? the beard and stripped away like this, like oh. the tops and bottoms. Because now I gotta check this that, out. Yeah, again. I'd have to watch it again. But yeah, I I was d- honestly distracted by his mustache in both films. <laughs> like every time he's on camera, I'm just staring at that. <laughs> it's it's a defining okay, characteristic yes, of you, you are right. Yes, the mustache is ridiculous in the first one as well. <laughs> and so... he sleeps with some sort of a mustache guard. <laughs> Which in this one, having watched the movies in, together in less than a week, you get a shot of him sleeping with it in Murder on the Orient Express. And in this one, they make kind of fun of it. And you, it's like rolled up on top of his head uh, <laughs> when you see him sleeping in Death on the Night. Oh, that's, I, I just thought it was a sleep mask to keep light out of his eyes. That's I what I'm know here it's for. A, yeah, it's a mustache it's a guard. Mustache guard. <laughs> I wonder what one of those goes for on, on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. Um, but uh, Jared, did you have any additional thoughts? You know, I, again, I feel like... Kenneth Branagh with these movies, he kind of wants to try his hand at a little bit of everything because you do get like, as Erica said, like these grand visuals, which are really cool. And um, just to relay my theater going experience, I bought uh, tickets for the second row (laughs) because sometimes you walk into the theater and you'll look down and there's like plenty of space between Mm -hmm. like even the front row and the screen. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that would have worked. 
not really the case here. Second row was super close. However, those uh those like vista scenes like swooping over Africa and everything mm. looked incredible. So he kind of like goes for some, you know, kind of like David Lean, like Lawrence of Arabia stuff. Yeah. Uh he's got like his, his yeah, historical uh World War One picture at the very beginning. He's got the murder mystery. He tries to like have some comedy, but then yeah, he's got like the staginess of this uh this this mystery and how it's kind of all crafted. So tonally it kind of like shifts all over the place. He kind of has a through line for the most part, but um, yeah, I don't know. Again, there's there's a part of me that when I go to a, like a murder mystery, I kind of just want to have fun with it. Yeah. So for me, I think who's really taken the ball and run with what Agatha Christie kind of like laid down with all of this is Ryan Johnson with the Knives Out series. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I was going to ask about the other kind of current whodunits and how they how you thought this kind of stacked up. And that's up. just it. Like 2019 Knives Out was one of my favorite movies of the year. It totally lived up to my expectations and Ryan Johnson like, you know, admittedly said he just went back and like reread Agatha Christie novels. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh Benoit Blanc, the mm-hmm. the detective of his movies is a little bit more fun and he just has more fun with those movies in general. And I think Knives Out too. It comes out this year and I want to say it might take place on a boat as well. So nice. if anything, nice. this might just be a good precursor getting me uh, <laughs> more excited for something, I guess maybe a little bit more modern. Yeah. Uh, with, mm-hmm. with uh, this whole conceit of the mur- murder mystery whodunit. I mean, you can't go wrong with a, a detective, a whodunit with a detective with a fun accent, right? And it's... a, re- and a an almost impossible name to pronounce. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed death on the Nile. I like these kind of star studded affairs because they kind of started that way back in the day when the seventies with these as well. So to just kind of like bring in a tremendous cast for the most part. Yeah. Um, if anything, I guess Kenneth Branagh is a little bit cursed in this regard too, uh, casting two troubled male actors <laughs> off screen in large roles. But yeah. I, it I, is what it is. I thought that was very interesting, especially with the promotional material with this movie. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Erica can barely contain herself contain herself. Um yeah, you're talking about you're talking about uh I have to save it for the spoiler section. Okay. Perfect. And I feel like this this <laughs> is a good film to kind of almost just skip ahead almost to the, the spoilers. Although, but although wait that uh Early on, after you after we're out of no man's land with World War One, and we jump to the current day of like 1937, I think something like that. What did you guys think of the uh, the jazz club scene where uh, <laughs> we're introduced to some of the main characters all of a sudden, super sexy. super sexually? So, yeah, for a PG thirteen. Wow. So the thing about that is, I had some real issues with this with this scene. Um, that is mainly, dirty dancing. Yeah. Mainly My for goodness. just kind of petty reasons. One <laughs> was, yeah, this, the dancing was so sexual that I was like, this feels not accurate, like not time accurate. Both. Did, did either of you see the the spoof Walk Hard with yes, John C. Riley? It's, it's <laughs> yes, very like, similar. Okay, the jazz club scene there where you see everybody dancing like over the top sexually, kind and you're like, a, okay, they're just making fun of it. And then to see this movie, like a parody of like Elvis almost right. type of thing, yeah. And to see this movie where they're taking it seriously, like, nope, nope, we actually dance this way. Like we are basically fornicating without fornicating on the exactly. dance floor. I'm just like, 
I again the tonal tonality shifts here. Yeah. From scene to scene, I was just like, this is this is a wild ride, and nobody's mm-hmm. even been killed yet. Yeah. My other little petty thing that I had with this is uh, we're introduced to uh, one of our characters who is, um, gosh, I forgot what her the the main singer. Um, oh, uh, gosh. Yes. See, this um, is was it Salome was the, yeah, the jazz singer. The actress's name is Sophie Okanito. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first time that we see her, she's playing the guitar and she's walking down a staircase, I think, and then through the dance floor up onto the stage. But you can see on the guitar that there is a uh, quarter inch guitar cable plugged in and I'm just thinking at what point is that guitar going to come unplugged because someone's going to step on that cord or like who's going to get who's going to get tripped accidentally because the wrangler following behind her exactly I was like this is I understand stylistically why you would do something like that because it's a fun introduction to the character but at the same time I was just thinking as as someone that plays musical instruments like oh man I get my cord unplugged if I run around too much on stage, let alone if I walked through the crowd. Um, but but yeah, I, I think my my brief little thoughts I'll say about it before we get into spoilers is I thought that the 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 characters were were fun, um, good performances for the most part, I'll mm-hmm. say. Um some some weird things like the maybe the dancing and the the little scene on the 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 tomb. Uh, with oh, where where they're uh, going? Yeah, to the, the pharaohs. An tomb attempt, and an attempt on the their lives initially. Yes, yeah. uh, kind of a, a shadow of the, or kind of a reflection of the dance scene a little bit, which yeah, I thought yeah, was a little was... bit weird. Um, but uh, overall, I thought yeah, very well directed, a fun, um, fun story, good acting for the most part, good direction, and just kind of a fun time at the movies. Um, it's it's not an overly offensive movie. You can pretty much take anybody to this and they would have a good time. Um, but I think with that, we should probably just get into spoilers. This is a whodunit. <laughs> so we need to have, we need to figure out who done it. Jump right to it. And, Although and, I guess we didn't give much of a setup. We didn't have true. the, we, uh, maybe we should, the yeah. ex, the exposition scene that his friend book gives him <laughs> literally arrives and like, Oh yeah. And let's point out this, this is this character. This, this is yeah. this character. I thought that was there, very weird. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I was like, it's yeah, like, well, that is hardcore that's, exposition. That's yeah. the staginess of, of, uh, of a whodunit. Just again, like, I don't know. We'll see if Ryan Johnson can uh, can keep it up in Knives Out too. But like with what he did in that first one with that whole family, it just yeah, yeah it, it felt awesome. so much better. It, Whereas this one, it's like we got to get this out of the way, guys. Right, We're just gonna make gonna... this really br- brief. <laughs> Everybody's in this room right now. Just pan the camera. Here we go. Yeah, it, and I think that's part of the like one of the few complaints I have about this movie is that some of these supporting characters were never like super interesting to me. Yeah. And uh, most of them, yeah, like even when it gets to the interview scenes, a lot of them just don't seem to have a good motive to kill uh, Lynette, I think was her yes, name. Yes, Gal, yeah. Gal Gadot's character. The heiress, yes, Lynette yes. Ridgeway. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, we'll listen to the bumper and then we'll get into spoilers. Could it really be that simple? The secret lies with Charlotte. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? 
You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent Green is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, we are back with the spoiler section of Death on the Nile. And Erica requested to go first. Yes. So why don't we why don't we kick it over to you? <sighs> well, um, Army Hammer may have killed Wonder Woman, but at least he didn't eat her. <laughs> <laughs> at least he didn't get the chance to. Yeah. It's like, well, alleged cannibal fetishists right. and sex offenders need work too. So. Oh my goodness! Wow. I I briefly brought up the 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 the. <laughs> Would have been able to solve the case way faster if, yeah, a bite had been taken the, out of yeah. it. <laughs> the marketing was so interesting because they it felt like they tried their best to exclude Army Hammer from, from all promotional material. Um, <laughs> I can't blame them. I, I thought it was very interesting, especially like this. And then also, I, I mean, different movie, but with Ansel Elcourt in West Side Story, similar controversy yeah. before the movie, or not similar controversy, but similar controversial character as they mm-hmm. were getting in there. But, but yes, we find out that Army Hammer is the, is the killer, but one- wait, <laughs> there are two. Like a Scream movie. I was going to say, just totally ripping off Scream. Yes. I'm sure, yeah, this came out. Can't uh, forget first. about Matthew Lillard, right? Right. The Matthew Lillard of the group. Yes. Um, but would you like to expand on, on that, yeah. Erica? Okay, so this is, I, from the beginning, I thought that the, um, uh, that Army Hammer's character, um, why can't I remember his name? Because I didn't write his name down in my notes. Um <laughs> His, his uh, character, Simon, who, who, yeah, Simon, Simon. who, who uh, marries Doyle. Uh, Simon Doyle, uh, yes. yeah, marries uh, um, Lynette after dumping his uh, previous fiance, Jackie. Yes, um, like so, I, I felt right away Simon and Jackie were the the people with the strongest motives uh, to kill Lynette. Um, but but then, it, like my expectations were initially subverted because they seem to have these great alibis. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a a. a red herring double to like yeah. kind of a <laughs> right. false red where you're you're yeah like you said they're kind of the most obvious and then they try their best to kind of divert your attention elsewhere and then kind of a double back and then it's like oh it turns out it was them all along they just had mm-hmm. to cleverly stage you know this this uh altercation between jackie and um jason no simon simon, simon. simon. <laughs> 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 I am not There's doing so well many with names. Characters. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of characters. Um, so yeah, it, I felt validated, but it was like this kind of. I, I feel like uh, they should have done something though to develop some of these other side characters and uh, maybe make it seem like those people had uh, more substantial motives than they did. Like the other people just kind of had certain grudges, which anyone would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not necessarily a good reason for murder. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of pretty unlikable characters, just like, not necessarily in their performances, but just like the characters themselves. Um, I mean, Gal Gadot, who is usually a pretty likable person in the movies Mm. that she's in, man, like, I was not getting good vibes from her in this movie, and I don't think you're really expected no, to. No, I mean, she wasn't completely repulsive, but she definitely did some horrible, <laughs> entitled, rich person right. crap right. to There's characters. a lot of that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. kind of rich people being kind of annoying rich yeah, people. Yeah. Um, a lot of kind of looking down at kind of lower class mm-hmm. people, which is very interesting because you have uh, Marie, 
who's kind of this like communist yeah, uh, godmother, godmother interesting. who is kind of and she gets rightfully kind of called out by this <laughs> to a certain extent in the story and i guess we're in spoils spoilers now but she has kind of a a, a nurse kind of almost Revealed. feels like a servant character mm-hmm. with her right. that kind of goes completely against kind of her whole attitude and then uh, it's revealed so she's what you could call a neiman marxist <laughs> yes um I'll, but I'll look that up later with the ministers. <laughs> it's okay. But um it is revealed that they are actually romantic mm-hmm. partners. Um which I think does help kind of make that character a little bit more interesting. Interesting yeah. and just it it kind of makes her not seem quite as like as much of a hypocrite. Right. Yeah. A hypocrite. Yeah, well, yes. Exactly. Um because it could be very easy to be like, "Oh, she's oh, I'm anti all this money, but yet I'm on this elaborate ship in the in Egypt, like oh, she's doing all was. these lavish well, things. Yeah. Well, I'm, but like <laughs> she was. But you could also say that's more of a product of the company that she is a part of, mm-hmm. potentially. Well, I yeah, don't know. You could you maybe know. write it off like that. But um, but yeah. So that's the first big spoiler. Jared, did you have any other spoilers or any uh, thoughts? When I, halfway through the movie, when I realized the doctor jilted former fiance of Gal Gadot was actually Russell Brand. Oh, yeah, it took me a while oh my to gosh. Yeah, <laughs> it was a familiar face and I just kept sitting there trying to pay his hair. Him. So. A little bit, yeah. Wasn't uh, quite as manic and over the top as I would have expected, but, um, you know, as, as Hercule goes through all the interviews, he always susses out something. And there's a lot of times where he'll point something out that you could have seen like these little snippets and he deduces a lot more than the audience. And I think that's just how the character is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. He just sees so much more as he's kind of introduced in murder on the Orient express. He's designed in a way to see the wrong things in life and what isn't right. So that's just his character. So uh, is is some of the things he figures out seem to be, uh, kind of like a stretch or just left me wanting to feel like oh, more of an aha, mm-hmm. like, oh, I should have seen that. Or like, oh, okay, I see how you got there. Yeah. Then, uh, But then there were some others where it's like, okay, earlier when the mom of Book's character uh, says she's missing a red paint. I know, Annette Benning, yeah, popping up. Good to see her again. Yes. But like when she says, like, I'm missing my red paint, I was like, oh, that's going to come and let back later. Yeah. Don't I, even tell me twice. With with all of these types of mysteries, all those little details, you always have to be like, I'm going to store that away because that's yeah. going to be something. Um, but yeah, did uh, so I got to ask, did you guys figure out who it was before the reveal? Like, did you were you for sure that this was what it was? I know you had talked about that they were kind of immediately suspicious but um, did you kind of see how things were done beforehand or was the reveal? Uh, figuring out I the re- No. And I, you know, early on I was like, uh, I felt like maybe it, maybe it's Jackie and Simon are in the long game just to get her money. That seems plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I couldn't have come to any of the conclusions that Perot did as far as like how it played right, out. Right, how they staged it. Yes. Yeah. Anytime there's replacing a, bunch of people, a bullet, replacing a missing yeah. blank and things like that. There was one thing that happened that and I, I, I talked to Lexi about it and I was like, I may have missed something that that could have explained this, but I was a little bit tipped off because uh, there's a scene. So basically the, the gist of the story is they're on their honeymoon. It's this group of people and they're just in Egypt Mm -hmm. and Jackie, the ex uh, fiance kind of 
crashes the party essentially. And that forces them to kind of go onto the boat as a way to kind of have their own privacy and kind of get away from, from that. Um, so they're all on this, on this boat. And then all of a sudden Jackie is on the boat again. And, and you're, you're kind of like, okay, this is kind of weird. And, um, there's a scene with Gal Gadot where she's like, get her off this boat. Like, why is she on this boat or something like that? And Army Hammer is like, well, she bought a ticket, so she has to be on this boat. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I thought they said they rented the boat out. Like, why are they accepting other people onto the boat? And there could have been, like, maybe they rented it out for a a short period of time, and then they were going to be joined by other people later. But it feels like Jackie is the only new person that joins the boat. So it was a little suspicious from there. And so when Army Hammer was like, was like, well, she has to be on the boat. I was like, well, ah, he's trying to keep her on this boat for some reason. Right. I can see this. Um, so that was my only real kind of tip off. Um, we haven't really talked about the other murders in this. Mm-hmm. In this, there there are actually three. It should be deaths on the Nile, essentially. Um, I, as someone who can't remember, is there just one? Murder in Murder Wait. on the Orient Express. Um, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. it's just the uh, Johnny Depp yeah. character. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking it was the just the one, character. and this is kind of fun because Ratchet. you it it, it kind of keeps the pace of the film going with kind of a, a new death. It almost it kind of reminded me a little bit of some slasher movies a little bit where. Yeah where you're kind of starting to get more story elements and, oop, this character's dead or something like that. Um, you see um, Gal Gadot's uh, kind of personal assistant who may have some information. She mysteriously dies. Yeah, and, played by the wonderful Rose Leslie. Yes, who is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Not given a ton, yeah. but but in her scene, she really makes a meal of everything that she has to do. Um, very sympathetic in a lot of her kind of when she has to kind of deal with the upper crust people. Um, and She's like, is this what happened over her character in Downton Abbey who left way too early? <laughs> yes. And and then we also get a third murder, which was the most disappointing in my opinion, um, which uh, Book yeah. um, gets killed, which in my opinion was maybe my favorite character in this in this film. Not, so just doing minimal research, <laughs> not actually in the Death on the Nile novel at all. He's only oh, okay. in Murder on the Orient Express, <laughs> and Book is an amalgamation of a couple other characters in Death on the Nile. Okay, oh, okay. So, that makes sense. But yeah, like I, I get why they would want to like bring him back, like because mm-hmm. it <laughs> also helps humanize this almost sometimes not uh, almost like robot like character who is Hercule who's so procedural. So giving him like this empathy of having this friend is is yeah. great. So yeah, to kill him off, I was, again I'm just like Brana, you Shakespearean. It's a tragedy. Yeah. And and it, it kind of reinforced that idea that like she or that he is kind of all business pro in that he questions him even though he's right. arguably his best in this world he's probably his best friend. Um, so unfor- it was very unfortunate to see him die. Yeah. I will, I did have one thing about that scene I thought was interesting where they, they're kind of talking about him and, uh, Letitia Wright's character have is that this. that how you say her name? I, is, is that, that how it, Letitia? Letitia? I thought it was Letitia. Yeah. But At least I, that, I think it's Letitia, but. In I, my head. There's a few different yeah. T's in there, so maybe I'm overpronouncing it, but, um, she, they have kind of this relationship that is, 
um, kind of forbidden almost mm -hmm. because at least by the mother from the mother yeah. at least. And, and so there's a, a storyline about them trying to kind of get enough financial stability so they can run away and they don't have to rely on the family mo money essentially. Um, and so uh, Book has to, steal kind of a a, a priceless necklace yeah, essentially to Tiffany, try to oh yeah Tiffany big company necklace big product yeah. big product placement yes. yes um and and he's getting grilled and he's like well you have to tell us what you saw i mean you're going to have to go to jail but you're going to have to tell us and i was just thinking to myself like army hammer would be so if in this world army hammer is not the one who was the actual murderer um he would be so happy that that he found out who murdered his wife, he would probably just drop the charges. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brana says that he's gonna drop the charges on the on the on cousin for the attempted murder earlier, as long as he keeps the the finances in line. Um, I don't know why he would have to kind of rat out his own friend. Um, well, and if you remember how Murder on the Orient Express ha uh, ends, you know, spoiler alert. Therefore, you know, a, a story that's been, been 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 around for uh, decades, but it basically lets an entire group of killers off the hook because because yes. uh, everyone has something to do yeah. with it. <laughs> yes. Um. But but yeah, I thought that was a little bit interesting. Mm. Um. Is it's tough to see that character go, but I guess if it is kind of a character that wasn't originally in the film, it makes sense that if they decide to kind of extend yeah this series, which that was something else I wanted to ask all of you. Do you think that this will just keep going? Do we think we'll know. see a third one or anything like that? I'd be game for it, honestly. I, I was just say I'm always up for a whodunit, and yeah. I mean. Hercule Perot is is a pretty classic character. Mm -hmm. I'd be fascinated to see what the mustache could look like next time. Exactly. So. I mean, if if that's if that's one reason to even watch the movie, you can just see how the different mustaches go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did anyone have any other thoughts they wanted to share? Yeah. That first one in 2017 it kind of surprised me by how much of a hit it was. You know, I think it grossed over a hundred million dollars just uh in in our country alone. This one. I don't know what you want to blame it on the pandemic, um, loss of interest, uh, problematic marketing based around problematic <laughs> actors. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely not going to do as well. So is there money to be made still? Probably as much. I don't know. So can they kind of do this whole Kenneth Branagh? Uh, directing, starring, star-studded affair with a whole cast of other actors you like, more or less. There will, um, I don't know. Yeah, there will always be a market for big all-star cast movies that are kind of fun plots that I think uh, audiences will always kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, I think you can kind of blame limited theater going yeah. in this time is kind of maybe a oh we made enough money on murder on the Orient express <laughs> to maybe fund two of these movies that we don't have to maybe worry as much about the last one not making money and then maybe the third one if it doesn't make money you can maybe reevaluate um but but yeah i think i will de certainly be interested um as somebody who who likes this type of story um but yeah any other anything else? Yeah, I de you know, I certainly don't didn't regret seeing this in theaters and things like that because, uh, as as we've talked about, just some of the shots just remarkable, 
and I'm gonna guess that he got access to some of these sites to really capture it. It looked fantastic, and there's a few wonky green screen things. In oh there, yes, but, oh for sure. But, but other not, than that, awful, not distracting. I don't think. No, <laughs> de- definitely not distracting, and definitely not so much that it kind of took over the overall vision mm-hmm. of the movie. Yeah. And I guess all of that to say, I'm glad I saw that. This uh, on the big screen, just knowing that what I'm really looking forward to, Knives Out 2, being swallowed up by Netflix, yeah. uh, I'm probably just going to be watching that at home, and it's not going to be the same experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that is Death on the Nile. Um, next episode is going to be a real interesting one with the new Matt Reeves film, The Batman. Um, I just wanted to get first a little bit of anticipation. Are you guys excited for this, or are you guys both big Batman fans? Yeah, I'm definitely a big Batman fan. This has definitely I've, been waiting for a while. I've had like mixed experiences with that that whole character and the different films that have come out. Some of them I loved, some I just could not stand. So, but I'm I'm curious. It, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I the promotional material has seemed pretty interesting, mm. and I like Paul Dano. Mm. He seems like he should be an interesting villain. Um, and just kind of the casting in general yeah. seems pretty solid. Happy they have Catwoman in this. So yes, who looks? They've really been showing a lot of in this. Um, so yeah, join us next time when our feature film will be The Batman. But until then, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding.